Thank you, Roz. Good morning, church. Good to see you all. Yes. All sorts of things happen in life, don't they? It was interesting. In a church last week, uh, Julie and myself, and uh, the pastor was preaching, and, and partway through the message, he just stopped, and he said, look, everybody, just go and welcome and say hello to somebody, etc., etc." And he came down to me, and he said, Don Gall. I said, yes. He said, uh, you taught me at Harvest Bible College. I went, oh, okay, <laughs> oh, very good, very good. I don't remember you, but that's great. Did I pass you? you know, must have, because he's preaching. And uh, then after, after the service, his wife came, and, and uh, I'd been one of her lecturers as well. So it's a small world. It really is a small world. And uh, just over the last several months, we've been really blessed to be able to go back to the first church that we passed in Currumburra in South Gippsland and see them open their, their very first building, their own building, um, after many years of, of uh, really struggling and so forth, they, they got that together and they've now got a building in the main street of Currumburra, which is fantastic. And they opened that up during the week for coffee shop and so forth. So they're really doing a great job. And various other churches that we've planted around South Gippsland, we've been able to catch up with them over the last few weeks. So it's, it's a great journey when you journey with God. And we've been singing these amazing songs. I just want to be in your presence and so forth. And one of the things that really challenged me again this morning, and I'm challenged virtually every day, is what in this day am I going to be able to do in order to glorify God? Because so often we get very self-centred. And, and what I want to speak on today is one of those challenges that Jesus initially gave his disciples in the day, in the moment, but that challenge continues to go on today to those of us who call ourselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll know if you have just even read a few pages of the Bible that Jesus was not backward in coming forward in challenging people to rise to another level of understanding of who God is and, and how we should live our lives. And that's what I want to do today. And I really am very thankful for the privilege, whenever I get it, to preach the Word of God, now that I'm no longer in senior ministry, as they call it. But Julie and myself, uh, as Ros said, we teach at the Christian College and, uh, and inspire, hopefully, put up with um, some of my students on my left-hand side there. Um, but, you know, young people... It's so important for young people to be able to see the generation ahead of them following the Lord Jesus Christ and being the best example that they possibly can be. It really is that important. You know, I, I, I was a teacher for many years, then went into ministry and never ever thought that I would go back into school teaching. But here I am. But being able to do both things, and Julie and I also do interim ministry, so if any churches need, uh, need someone to fill in for a few weeks or whatever it happens to be, we also do that. So it's just such an amazing privilege and honour to serve God in wherever, wherever he places you. This morning I want to talk about a sure and powerful sign. And right at the very beginning, we need to acknowledge something. Acknowledge, number one, that this sermon does not come from chat GPT. Right? 
When Pastor Andrew rang me the other day and said, look, I'm not well, could you uh, step in for me? I said, yes, I'd be happy to do that. And straight away, of course, when you're a preacher, you say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? And so Julie and I were in the car and we were praying and this scripture came to me. So then the next thing, of course, the preacher does begin to pray through and say, how am I going to put this together? And so we then go to references and so forth. We go to our Bible. We go to various other references. And I want to also uh, declare today that a big, part of the, a big part of the inspiration for this message today comes from one of my favourite preachers, uh, Pastor Skip Heitzig, who's uh, a pastor in the United States. So the whole idea, I want you to just think for a moment of any words that you know that have either been redefined over the years or words that no longer perhaps have the impact that they used to have. What's, what words, and there are many, and I'm sure that if I went round and called it, oh, what about this, what about this? So there are words that over time lose their impact. There are words that over time are redefined. And we as Christians need to be very, very careful that we're not deceived into redefining some biblical words in particular so that we are pleasing the world, but in fact we're losing our footing in Christ. We need to be so careful about that. And that's what I want to speak about this morning. So let's just pray very quickly. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being here with brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you also that you are the one who through Jesus Christ has saved us and set us on a course that, though it may be rugged at times, has an amazing completion to come. We thank you for your word and pray now that your word will do what only your word can do by the power of your spirit in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the words I think that has been redefined and has lost some of its power over the years is a word that we have been singing in a lot of the songs this morning, and that word is the word love. Because today... That word is used in all manner of ways so that the true power really has been greatly diminished. You know, I love ice cream. I do. But what does that really mean? Think about why do I use the word love? Why do I not use the word I enjoy ice cream or whatever it happens to be? And that word also, that word love has been replaced in the world very much so really it doesn't mean love it means lust so much of it is about lust in 1965 when most of you weren't even born then but there was a, a song written by Bert Bacharach how many people remember Bert Bacharach yep Bert Bacharach, Bert Bacharach. Spotify Spotify try and find him um, but a lady by the name of Jackie DeShannon uh, sang a song, made it very famous, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. How many people could sing that one? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing 
that there's just too little love and that will stop there you're all hired for the worship team by the way okay so but what the world needs now is love God's love that's really what the world needs they don't realize it they're chasing around looking for love looking for acceptance looking for all of this sort of thing and it's right there staring them in the face but they don't really want it and this whole thing about love, just recently I was talking to a young man, a young Christian friend of mine, whose marriage had failed. After 15 years, his wife simply said, I don't love you anymore. For the next five years, he tried to bring that marriage back, but failed to do so. I don't love you anymore. And I know that this happens more often than we would care to think about. But, you know, this whole idea of love, what we've tied it to so much in our world today is emotion. And there's much more to love than just emotion. Emotion is good. It's wonderful. When I think about the first time I saw my wife now, my wife of 50 years, when I first looked at her, I tell you, it wasn't agape love that I was thinking of, let me tell you. But you see, that's the whole thing. But it goes beyond emotion. It's much, it's much deeper than that. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you'll know well. Now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks so much and demonstrates so much the power of love. And in those chapters, I encourage you to, to read them and, and, and meditate on them, 13 through to 17, all of that happens really in one, in one night. John MacArthur, another preacher, says that those chapters are what he calls Jesus' legacy or even his last will and testament as he demonstrates the reality of the love of God and through the actions that he takes, washing his disciples' feet, for example, predicting Peter's denial and so on and so on. But I want to read from John 13 this morning, starting at verse 31, and it says this, When he, that's Judas, left had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God also will glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you. Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And we know that that's exactly what happened. At verse 31, he says, Now the Son of Man is glorified. 
Jesus was not glorified in other things that were declared about him prior to this. But now, as Judas leaves the room, his exit to go and finalise his betrayal of Jesus is the trigger to Jesus being glorified. This is the moment now. And the weirdest thing, the thing the world doesn't understand is that what glorified Jesus was his death on the cross. It glorified Jesus and it glorified the Father. And while the world stood around and mocked him and spat on him and did all of the horrendous things that they did to him, all the while God was being glorified through that incredible sacrifice. So that process of glorification was from the crucifixion, his time in the tomb, his resurrection, his ascension, and finally his being seated at the right hand of the Father. Some call it his coronation. Now, Jesus, sorry, the disciples, as Jesus is speaking through chapters 13, 14, as we know them, uh, he wasn't sort of saying, okay, now we're up to chapter 14 now, boys, I want to tell you something else. When he was going through all of this teaching, the disciples were finding it incredibly difficult because while Jesus was with them, they were strong, they were focused, they were on track most of the time. But to think that Jesus was now saying to them, I'm leaving, that was absolutely doing their head in. And this is why things like the words of Peter, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I go? I'll follow you anywhere. He didn't understand, of course, at that stage, what was actually about to happen. Even though Jesus had prepared them for all of this, they still didn't grasp it. It's kind of like students at school. You tell them and you tell them and you tell them, don't you, Ellie? And they don't get it. And you go home at night and you find the nearest brick wall and you bang your head. No, you don't. No, you don't. You pray for them. But the thing is that so often, think about it yourself. I remember in year, year 11 or what was Form 5 back in my day, our economics teacher, Mr Winter, used to stand there and we'd say, Sir, we don't get this. We don't get this. And he used to say, boys, the penny will drop. The penny will drop. And sure enough, just at the right time, for most of us anyway, the penny did drop. But you know, that's the whole thing. Somewhere along the line, the penny has to drop. So Jesus, in these words in verses 34 and 35, says this, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's three things in this final set of instructions, if you like, that Jesus says. And it's things that we now, by loving, that, that's what we are fulfilling something that Jesus, or we should be fulfilling anyway, something that Jesus taught at that time. And there are three things that I want to just bring to you this morning. Number one, what to do. Number two, how to do it. And number three, why we should do it. So what to do? What to do is to love. 
one another. Now, why, I might ask myself, is this a commandment? Since when does love become a rule to keep? Doesn't love just flow naturally out of us? No. Anyone who's in a family and, or has, and has siblings, anyone who's been married for more than 12 months, anyone who has an obnoxious neighbour, or maybe there's just somebody even in church, dare I say. No, and we know that love just does not come naturally. And what can we blame? We can actually blame the fall. Right back then. It's then when people became or be, began to become self-centred, self-oriented. Not self-aware, that's a different matter, but self-centred and self-oriented. You know, I was reading something recently which says that approximately one in three pictures taken on smartphones are selfies. Now, I don't know about you, but I take terrible selfies, but I maybe take terrible photos all around, but one in three. And we are so self-centred. What about me? What's in it for me? This is the attitude that, generally speaking, we have. So in calling it a commandment, Jesus actually is summing up all the commandments that have ever been given. Because remember, he was also asked by a Jewish leader at one time, what was the greatest commandment? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. In that order. And everything else hangs on that. So love becomes the, what we call the irreducible minimum by which all other commandments are fulfilled. Think about this. If you love God, you won't put any other gods before him. If you love God, you won't take his name in vain. If you love people, you won't kill them, you won't steal from them, you won't lie to them, or you won't covet what they have, and you will honour your parents. All that from just the Ten Commandments. It's all summed up in loving God and loving others. But Jesus said this is a new commandment. But the reality is, it's not. Because it's in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19.18, for example, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's not new in that sense. So why is Jesus calling it new? He actually uses a, a, a new word for new, and it's kainos, the Greek word kainos, which means to be fresh or to refresh. So Jesus is really saying, this is not new information, but it's a new application. It's a new application. Love who? One another. So what Jesus has done in this is saying, okay, guys, he's now got 11 of his followers. The betrayer has gone. 
He's waited for that to happen. Now he's with his 11 guys and he's saying, okay, guys, I'm narrowing it down to this. You love one another. And any of us who have read any of the situations regarding the disciples understands that one of the biggest beefs that they had was who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to sit next to Jesus? Who's the head charanga? They're all around this. And Jesus said, right, that's finished, boys. Now, love one another. Love one another. Love the world? Yes. God loved the world and we're told to love our enemies also. There's a cartoon, one of the Charlie Brown cartoons, where Charlie says, I love the world, it's the people in it I can't stand. So this is the thing. Jesus is saying, you as an individual, guys, and as we see as the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane later on and so forth, the prayer is that that's exactly what the people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ will be like in the days ahead, that they will love one another. So Jesus is giving a new starting point, if you like, for a very good reason, as we see as we go on. Is there a tangible way to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? The second thing is, how should we do it? He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Jesus is now taking this thing about loving one another to a whole nother level. I can't set the parameters of what love is or how I love someone. Why? Because if I call myself a follower of Christ, he sets the parameters, not me. So how do you measure love? There's a lot of external ways. Maybe I can convince someone I love them by writing it. And there's a wonderful story about the, it's called The Longest Love Letter Ever Written. And it was the work of a French painter named Marcel de la Cleur in 1875. And the recipient of this love letter was Magdalena de Valolore. And what he did was send her a letter that contained the phrase, I love you. Wait for it. 1,875,000 times, which was 1,000 times the calendar year of 1875. Now, I think after the first page, she probably got the message. I don't know how many pages that turned out. You mathematicians, if it was 30 lines, per, how many pages it turned out? Isn't that romantic? Well, no, not really, because what he did... He, was, he didn't pen the thing in his own hand. He actually hired a scribe to do it. Well, I mean, you're a painter. You're going to waste your time writing that. Get somebody else to do it. Well, how else can I show love? Oh, a kiss. That's how I can show love. Well, the world's longest kiss. 58 hours, 38 minutes and 38 seconds. A Thai couple couple from Thailand in 2013, who broke the previous record of 31 hours some. And the, was the young English couple. And the reason that the young English couple stopped at 31 hours is because they, they both fainted for lack of oxygen. That's true. But see, the new standard of love 
is to do it like Jesus did it. In John 15, 12 and 13, for example, he says, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Wow. And of course, he's talking here about the cross, the ultimate demonstration of God's love. So what does that mean to us? When we think about loving people like Jesus loved Others, does it mean I have to go to a cross? Now, we know that there are, in some countries there are people who, uh, every Easter, there are people deliberately allow themselves to be nailed to crosses or they flagellate themselves and all this sort of stuff. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that true love is sacrificial. It's also unconditional. Again, the cross. Father, forgive them. You know, if I was nailed to a cross, had been falsely accused, first of all, and then nailed to a cross, I don't think the first words that I'd be thinking about was, Father, forgive them. I'd be saying, Father, get them! And then get me off this cross, wouldn't you? But Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. The devil always overplays his hand. His love is never-ending and it's non-reciprocal. Romans 5.8 tells us that. It said, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we didn't have to sign papers. We didn't have to come and say, oh, Jesus, I want to follow you and, and here's my signed declaration. And Jesus said, right, you're in. No, while we were still sinners. He loved us when we didn't want to have anything to do with him. Now I say, personally, it's impossible to love like Jesus loved. He can, but I can't. And the reality is, it is impossible on your own. On your own, it's impossible. But as a Christian, the Bible tells me that I am in Christ. Which means that I've got a reservoir of love that never runs out. Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. So if I'm a Christian, I'm a new creature in Christ... Old things have gone, new things have come, one of which is the pouring of the Holy Spirit into my life to enable me to draw on that reservoir of love or grace or forgiveness or whatever I need at any time of the day because I am in Christ. If God's love can flow into our lives, God's love can flow out. The Bible tells me that God's mercies are new every morning. And in that, that's also God's love. It's new every morning. There's a new supply. God never says, oh, I've got nothing left to give you. We would be absolutely, as the old Aussie word is, we'd be cactus if God said that. So if God says... His mercies and his love are new, just being renewed and renewed and renewed every day. 
I can never say, I've got nothing left. And so to love like Jesus loved can be done, but it is sacrificial. It is saying to people or saying to myself, I can love that person whether or not they love me back. That's the whole agape love. It's not about emotion. God has given us emotion and that's good. But I can love people who hate me. It's hard sometimes. But if I am in Christ, I can draw upon that and I can sacrificially give out, not of myself, but of the reservoir of that which God will so openly give me so that I can love even the unlovely, the unlovable, the people who may well spit in my face as they did with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can still love them. My emotions may be running all over the place, but that well of love within me can be given out to other people. It's said that one of the, um, one of the Roman emperors, <clears throat> can't remember which one, sent a person to spy on the Christians in Rome. And he came back after whatever time, he'd been trying all sorts of ways, and among his report, he said to the emperor, you should see how these people love one another. That was the thing that really struck him. There was a whole lot of things that they did as far as their services were concerned, but what the thing that really struck him was the way that they tangibly loved one another. They gave up certain things for each other. And we read that through Scripture, don't we? In the book of Acts, for example, there are examples of people who sold property and so forth. Why? Not so that they could be held up as some sort of paragon of virtue, but so that they could help their brothers and sisters in Christ. Sacrificial. Whatever that means for us at any given time, that's how we need to love. But thirdly, why? Why should we do this? Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, I can call myself a follower of Christ I can wear a T-shirt with a Christian message on it. I can drive a car with a bumper sticker on it. I can wear my gold necklace with a big dangly cross on it. I can do all of that. But you and I know that there are people who drive cars with Christian bumper stickers on it who are not very Christian. I have a friend, a pastor friend, who was a little bit naughty one day with a fellow trying to pass him and he wouldn't let him pass him, etc., etc. I won't go into the full details, but he wasn't very nice. Only to find... <laughs> no, no, not in Ballarat. Uh, that's a few years ago. <laughs> not you, Andrew. Um, so, but he was, he was telling us at a, at a minister's meeting, this was in the, when we were in South Gippsland, and he was telling us the story and he said, I was so embarrassed. I said, why? He said, well, about four weeks later... I was at the back of the church after we'd finished and <clears throat> he said, um, this guy came in and he goes, oh, I know you. He said, you drive such and such. A... Oh, and then he told him the story and he was so embarrassed. He said, I was so embarrassed 
He said, I went home and took the sticker off my car. I said, well, that really isn't the idea. The idea is keep the sticker on your car, but behave yourself. Be a Christian. So, in other words, I'll take the sticker off my car and I can still do all these things that I'm doing. No, that's not how it works. So, you know, I can do all of that. I can wear the T-shirt. I can wear the chain. But it's not about that. It's about me being a billboard, if you like, that attracts others to God. But the other side of the coin here is this, that Jesus is actually giving the world permission to judge us. Have you ever thought about that? He says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this everyone, people in the world, will know that you are my disciples. So he's saying to the world, hey guys, come and check my people out. See how they go at following me. See how they go at loving one another. So there's a challenge. There's a challenge. How do I, how do I treat people in shops, even if it's a bit slow at the supermarket or if the person behind the counter is not very nice or whatever? How do I handle myself and hold myself in public or even in those private times when I don't think anybody can see me? How do I do it? That's a challenge for me. Our love for each other actually makes God visible because God is invisible and intangible. And we can say to people, oh, you know, we can evangelize, say, oh, God loves you. And God, they say, I've never seen God. But remember what Jesus said to people, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We should be able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I have to go around with a robe and sandals on and everything like that. But in my behavior, in my attitude, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. So it's not about bumper stickers. It's not about T-shirts. It's not even about my wonderful theological knowledge. People don't want to know about your wonderful theological knowledge. They want to know how genuine you are as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God. Now, remember John, the apostle that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved, went through all of this. And years later, he's writing 1 John, what we call 1 John. So he's had a lot of time to think about this. And he says, you know, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us, or his love is brought to full expression in us. So John has had a lot of time to think this through. And so he's challenging the people of God, even then, to understand that if we are going to truly represent the Lord Jesus Christ, the world has to be able to see us as a visible and tangible sign of the reality of what a Christian is. So the telltale sign that we belong to God is the authentic, selfless love that we have for each other. John Stott says, we cannot proclaim the gospel of God's love with any degree of integrity if we don't exhibit it in our love for others. 
So we have to be authentic in the love that we demonstrate one to the other. So how do I evaluate my life? Do I evaluate my life by the friends I have on Facebook or the followers on X, formerly Twitter, um, followers? Is that how I evaluate my life? Do I evaluate my life by the people who tell me they love me? Do I evaluate my life by the degrees I have or how many times I can run around the block? How do I evaluate my life? Do I evaluate my life by the number of gold medals I've won at the Olympic Games? Uh, I've won none, by the way. Uh, how do I evaluate my life? Why not evaluate my life by love? By the love I have for the people I know. If I can evaluate my life like that, everything else will fall into its proper perspective. Remember the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will come. It'll fall into line, into right perspective. So if I evaluate my life by the people I love, not the people who love me, but the people I love, I think I'm on the right track. And so we understand when we look at the words that Jesus has spoken then and those words are applicable to us now, he is actually taking us to a far higher level of living and understanding of life than what we really can imagine. See, people talk about grace, and yes, there's grace. But there's also justice and judgment. People talk about love in a wishy-washy way. And yet the love that we're talking about here is that which is, as I say, sacrificial and non-reciprocal. I will love you whether you love me back or not. And so Jesus, in this instruction to his disciples, is once again saying, this is what you have to do, this is how to do it, and this is why you do it. Let me read those words again. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's the challenge for all of us on a daily basis. To love the unlovely, to love the unlovable, to love the people who don't love us back, because we can draw on that unending reservoir of love, grace and mercy that God has poured into our hearts by his spirit. Would you stand with me for a moment? Thank you, Lord. Father God, I thank you for each and every member of this wonderful congregation at Family Life Church. I thank you for Pastor Andrew and Mel and the, and the family, the boys, Lord. And I ask you to continue to strengthen, bless 
and direct their steps. And I pray for the congregation here, Lord, to really consider where each and every one of them stands and help us all, I pray, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ so well that people will be able to say nothing else but see how they love one another. Father, we know that it's not naturally possible to do that, but it is supernaturally possible. Help us to draw upon the reservoir or the never-ending supply of love, grace and mercy that you have so that as it pours into us, we are then able to give it out to others. So, Father, I commit each and every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ to you today. Strengthen them, direct their steps, and cause them to be visible and tangible representatives of Jesus Christ each and every day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, folks. Thank you so much. Now you're going to have to go out, think about someone you don't really like, and tell them how much you love them. All right, we're going to give one more round of applause. Stay, you stay here. Come back, come back. I've got you for a moment. Okay. Mr. Goal stepped in very last minute and he brought something like that. Okay, so we're going to honour him for the man of God he is and for the word that he carries. So let's give him another round of applause. All right. Have coffee, have tea.